Hi, my name is Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at First Church Ministries, and we're going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're in the second part of chapter four. Um, Ephesians is a letter Paul wrote about the church, and um, we're delving more into the new life we have as Christians right now, but um, I, I did a review of the last lesson, so if you're interested in an overview of the book, that would be there. And um, we're uh, going to open in prayer now and talk about this section. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. We thank you that you have made us a body and that we can encourage one another and learn from one another and help one another. And so I pray that as we study your word, that that might be uh, uh, true for us, that we might truly understand um, what your plan is for us, uh, not, not only in eternity, but now, and that we would love you more, Jesus. We pray in your name. Okay, so, uh, the, you know, as the first screen says, this is the... Uh, key verse that, uh, that the mystery is that uh, uh, Christ has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so the church is, is the fullness of that plan. In a special way, the church um, is united in Christ as, no, as the rest of the creation is not, and yet all creation will be under Christ. Um, this one is talking about the church, and we talked about the importance of unity in the church um, last lesson. This one we're talking about um, uh, what does it mean to walk as a Christian, okay? And so uh, this is what he says here, and, and we talked about this earlier, walking is a theme of, of Ephesians, not um, uh, the major theme, and yet in a way it is, it is very important. We, we see what the word walk here, which I've emphasized um, up here um, uh, once uh, it appears uh, twice more at the beginning of chapter five when he's talking about. So now he's saying you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In chapter five, which we're going to pick up next week, he talks about um, how we should be walking. But even here, he talks about that. And so I want to go through that. I want to read this section. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and, given, and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him and the truth in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt in its deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on your new self, which is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so we see here, uh, and, and we're going to actually go out to the next section, we're actually going to talk about how that plays out. But here, let, let's go back into this, whoops, let's go back into this section here about what, what he's talking about. It says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futilities of their minds. We, um, there's a debate that goes on about whether we're a Christian nation or not. Um, um, there's a debate about whether anything or any, anything can be Christian except for a Christian. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and, and I, I don't want to, again, we're not going to go into all that right here or now, okay? But it just talk about the futility of the Gentiles. And, and uh, a natural question would come up is, um, we live in a pretty good society. Now, Maybe people arguing with that, but I'm telling you, we live in a pretty good society. Okay, when Paul's writing, there was not a Christian. There was not a there was not a Christian. The Christian uh, 
philosophy, um, not the theology, but philosophy, was not really, there was no, none of that. And, and Paul's creating the theology and the philosophy that flows out of that. And we enjoy the benefits of that, and we, and we don't even recognize it. But we, everything, everything happens, a very fabric of Western society is based on Christian activity. Um, when the Declaration of Independence, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Uh, and endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, that is a wholly Christian notion, okay? And you might say Judeo-Christian, that's fine, but that's true, because the Jewish, the Jewish faith, the Christianity is rooted in the Jewish faith. And so, so yes, the, the, the concept that, that uh, all men are created equal, though, is more of a Christian concept than even a Jewish concept, you know, that there are, you know, again, the... the um, and again, I don't want to split hairs because Judaism does teach the inherent integrity of man too. Um, but it was a little bit more obscured because of the regulations about slavery and other things in there and how they treated other nations because God was, had them in a barbaric situation and was training them up to be the people of God. Stuff like that, we see the expression more in Christianity. The seeds are still there. But I tell you this, it is a Judeo-Christian notion. It is not another concept notion. And you can say, well, Islam has that too. Islam roots itself back in Judeo-Christianity. It's not, but in that, in that sense, it has that. But it doesn't have it in the same sense too. Because slavery is very, was practiced quite a bit in Islam and regulated in Islam. And, and the question comes back again on Christians. Well, we say that in the Declaration of Independence, but there was slavery at that time. So this is the problem. This is what I'm saying. The Gentiles are darkened in their mind, okay? Unbelievers are darkened in their mind. Now, um, they're more enlightened now than they were back then, <laughs> okay? So, so back in the Roman times, there was, the futility of the Gentiles was real and, and alive, and as Christianity spread, that futility, the frontiers of that rolled back more, as Christian theology and philosophy expanded, and filled the niches and taught the integrity of man, and, and that there was that all that all men must give account to God, even if again awful abuses and slavery, and yet the Bible still teaches slave owners to that there is only one master and he judges all impartially. We'll get that to that in a couple of weeks, but so 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 what he's saying here is that you must no longer walk like the Gentiles do. Okay. They're darkened in the understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is due to them, the hardness of the heart. Now, we have that same ignorance. We have that same hardness of heart. We've been redeemed, and we're going to talk about this old self and new self. But we're not better than the Gentiles, okay? That's not what this is being taught here. He's saying, you once were like this, and now you need to not be like this, not because you're so much better, but because... I am making you so much better. God is the one who's changing us here. They've become callous and given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And, and again, we see it as, as Christianity is, again, um, for lack of a better term, somewhat Christianized Western society and, and adopted, uh, adopted codes that, that are recognized as self-evident in a society that, that there is a creator and that he's given us some rights. We also see that now that as we've come into what's called a post-Christian modern society or post-modern society, 
that uh, many of those things are being challenged again. Uh, ideas of, are there two sexes, gender or identity, uh, um, sexual relationships between men and women and, and women and women and men and men are things that, that Paul talked about back then, um, but they've come back to us again. And Paul is saying, um, there's a problem here. Now, he is not, I, I deliberately put this emphasis on this um, uh, ignorance because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. You, you listen when I did that the first time. It, this is not a pejorative thing. This is a, this is a being lost thing, okay? And if, if we know better, we don't know better because we are better. It's because of revelation, okay? And the, and the point here is that je, the Gentiles don't hold to this revelation. And we're the same way. We, we, we would do the same things, but we've been taught differently. And so Paul's saying, act differently, Okay? And um, you say, that's very judgmental against Gentiles. The wrath of God has come upon the earth because we have rebelled. Not just Gentiles. It comes on all of us. That, you know, the wrath of God is there because we have chosen to do our own thing. And there is a revealed truth. And shame on Christians when they have the revealed truth and still don't live it. Okay, so you have, we have a lot, there's a lot of hypocrisy in there when we're looking down on other people, okay? That's not what this passage is about. It can be read that way. And actually, when I read it originally, sort of put that little taste in there. But that's not what it's talking about. He's saying, you've been pulled out of this. You've been, you, you've been pulled out. For lack of a better term, it's going to give a, it's going, it, it might spark some real thing. Um, you were addicted to drugs. The drug you have is the drug of yourself and your own choices, and you've been pulled out of that. And, and the fact that you're clean now isn't because you're better. It's because someone pulled you out of it, okay? Someone made you go through the, the out of it, and they say there's nothing worse than an ex-smoker to uh, get mad about people who smoke, okay? There's nothing, and, and that's what's happening here. Very easy for us to say, well, yeah, but I'm not like that now. Well, if you're not, then listen to what this has to say, because <laughs> this is what it's trying to teach you. If you have that attitude, you're obviously um, not really getting the message, okay, here. And so, so he says, that's not the way you learn Christ. Assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him and the truth that it's Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupting your deceitful desires. Now, when we become a believer, we are given new life. But Scripture also teaches that there's an old life that lives in us. And Romans talks about that quite a bit. In fact, in fact uh, Romans in chapter 7, Paul says, what am I going to do? I know what I should do, and I do the wrong thing. And every time I want to do the right thing, I do the wrong What's going to happen? Woe is me. Who's going to free me from this body of death? He actually says at the end of chapter 7 of Romans. And and the answer is, praise be to God through Christ Jesus. That's what's being answered here. There is an answer to that old body of death. And he's saying, put off your old self. Now, it's a decision you still have to make because it's still part of who you are, okay? You, there's an old self in you, um, and there's a new self that's being renewed in the spirit of your minds. And by renewed in the spirit of your minds, it talks about the Holy Spirit filling us and changing us so we can put on our new self, created 
after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now, what I, we're going to be done in a few weeks, and one of the things I've thought about is, is actually maybe looking into Genesis. One of the things that's very interesting in Genesis is um, Adam and Eve have a son, uh, Cain, and then Abel, okay? And, uh, and you get, you know, the, the, Cain kills Abel, and then you get the line of Cain going, and the line of Cain is, is, gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then you hear, then it starts up in um, chapter 5, I believe it is, or 4, 5, I believe. He says, and, then, and then, then Adam had another son after his likeness. And so it starts up again, the story starts up again with Seth, okay? And so there's a new self. So, so you get, there, there are some pictures in the Old Testament, and there's a picture of the old self that was in us in Cain, and then a new self that comes, and from the line of Seth comes Noah, um, uh, and, and there are some godly men in that line, like Enoch, who walks with God, but at the end, they become corrupted, okay? And so, in some ways, there's this, this understanding, too, churches can be corrupted, too, by the old man sort of creeping into the, the, the place where the new man should be. And so, he's telling us to, be, be, um, to put on our new self created in the likeness of God. So, so how do you do that, okay? Um, we do, obviously don't have um, enough time to deal with that in, in detail. Uh, Romans is a good book on that. Uh, I found um, there, there, when I first became a Christian, it really, I, I really look back and um, uh, just thankful to God for the people he put me with and the things he put me in. So I became a Christian. I didn't have contact with any other Christians. And uh, I finally did make some contact in, high, in high, my high school with them. And someone invited me to a Bible study, and the first book we studied was Romans. And, and the book I studied, in fact, I've used it with youth before, and it's more than just a youth book, was How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. And it was an excellent exposition of Romans, and uh, I've appreciated it more when I went back on it 20 or 30 years later than I did then. But God started me out in Romans, which was really good. And I used to think, how do these people know all these things? They would talk about books from another one. And, and I think because they love God and they study God's Word. Um, there's another book that I would recommend that book if you're thinking of it, the other book, and, uh, and uh, Jose might be put some links on there. I need to send him an email on that. But the one I'd probably recommend highest is The Normal Christian Life. Now, everything in the Watchman Nee was uh, a persecuted uh, martyr, uh, Chinese martyr, and The Normal Christian Life is an exposition on I believe it's on uh, Romans 6 through 8, pretty much. Um, but it is an excellent book. I highly recommend it. And uh, that was another book. When, when I got to college, interestingly enough, we studied Romans again. And it was The Normal Christian Life, my Sunday school teacher. So, so I, I'm telling you, that this is some ways that can help you on that. I'm going to talk about it here. I'm not going to push it all off into that. But I'm just saying, can't cover this in 15 or 20 minutes, what... what um, Paul took a lifetime to learn and was learning even as he was um, martyred, I'm sure. Um, but we need to put off our old self. There's an old self in there, and, and I, I've seen different pictures on this. I mean, you've heard things about the carnal Christian, probably, and the spiritual Christian, stuff like that. Um, one of the things that I think uh, is a fairly apropos is, is, is a couple, uh, uh, you know, uh, the old self is like a caged gorilla, and if you keep on throwing it bananas, it's going to grow. You know, you don't want to feed the old self, okay? Well, how do you feed the old self? Well, 
You watch shows you shouldn't watch. You read things you shouldn't read. You talk about things you shouldn't talk about. And so and we're going to talk about this because he it's, this is not me, okay? In the next section, the next part of this slide talks about this. But he's talking about put on your old self, uh, and it's being corrupted by deceitful desires. Now, what are those deceitful desires? Ultimately, it all walks, walks back to the one thing, pride, okay? It's what got the devil. It's what gets us. And you say, well, I'm not proud. Let me put it a different way. It all comes back to wanting what we want. Okay, it all comes back to what I want. Okay, and uh, and and so I want this. God says no, but I want this. God says no, but I want this. Okay, I know I shouldn't do that, but I want this. Okay, that's what's going on here in the old self. And he's saying, put off your old self, and we're we'll talking again. This next section talks a little bit about that, and then um, put on your new self. So how do you put on your new self? Well, part of that we covered last time, and we'll talk about that now too. Um, uh, and, we're in, and that's basically what Paul goes into this next section, which ends chapter 4, and all of 5 and most of chapter 6 goes into talking about how we do this. How do we put off our old self, and how do we put on a new self? So, so you'll see here this, put off your old self, put on your new self. This next section, I've actually done that. So if it's underlined, it's put off your old self. If it's, it's a bolded italics, put on your new self. So you say, therefore... Have them put away falsehood, uh, we're to speak the truth to the na- our neighbors, okay? So, okay, so we shouldn't lie. Well, yeah, duh. But we do lie, okay? In fact, I, I, what I really like is uh, uh, one of my mentors, spiritual and actually professional mentors, Ed Snyder, he used to say, you know, no one teaches you how to lie. Little kids, they get it right away. Who did that? I didn't do it. You know, no one, no one has to tell the kids, you know, if you want to get out of trouble, lie about it. And so it's, it's very interesting. It's, so, yeah, we know we're supposed to put away falsehood and speak the truth, but it's a lot harder than it sounds, okay? So Paul's talking about, he's going to talk about some ways to do that, but again, really the ultimate way to do that is saying, God, give me the strength, help me to do this. Now, you've got to work. So, so the walk with God is a walk, okay? He doesn't carry you, okay? So when you walk with God, you appeal to him to set you on the right path and give you the strength to do it, but you still got to do it. We're put away falsehood, speak the truth to our neighbors. Um, Here's another one, be angry and do not sin. Now that could actually be its own couplet. I actually extended that, don't let the sin go down on your anger. Um, uh, The old way, give no opportunity to the devil. So it is, oh, you can be angry with somebody, something, uh, and not sin apparently. And uh, I think uh, if you think, well, that's, people say, well, yeah, I, I guess that's so, because Jesus cleared the temple, and he was clearly angry when he cleared the temple. Yeah, and there's other opportunities, too. Their anger can be, there can be a righteous anger. Sometimes it's not a righteous anger. Sometimes you're just angry, and you shouldn't be. And what he talks about here is don't let the sun go down in your anger either way. Deal with it. Deal with Work through it. Um, this is particularly good advice for couples, married couples, to not go to bed angry with one another um, because it thinks faster. Okay, and you don't know when you'll get another chance to really do it. Especially as a married couple, you might be waking up the next day with each other type thing. But if you're angry with somebody and you let it go, the sun go down on your anger, there's a chance you might never see them again. And you, you know, I chance with your spouse too if they passed away, but. But if you had an argument with your best friend and you don't reconcile, or even not your best friend, your enemy, 
and you don't talk about it, then you might not get that opportunity later. Plus, even if you do get that opportunity later, it's not the same thing. Okay? Sometimes it can be much more healing, but most of the time, it's the, the, the hurt has stuck around because the hurt's been done. And even if it's healed by apologies and setting things straight, the hurt's been done and it sticks down deep. Um, let the thief no longer steal, and I should have I should have bolded that. Um, but let him labor. In fact, I did have this bolded. I switched fonts. <laughs> um, but let him uh, labor, do an honest work with it, with his own hands, so he may have something in need. So no longer steal, but have someone to share. You have something to share with others. No corrupting talk out of your mouth, but only what is good for building up others. Um, and so there's this this don't do this. Don't. And it's going to carry on. By the way, in chapter five, we're going to talk about this too. But but this, this concept of what does it mean to walk as a believer? It means uh, don't lie, um, don't steal, um, don't um, slander, corrupt and talk, or, or talk bad. Um, and then it says, and then we have this, this sort of summary, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So again, the Holy Spirit is a person. And you can grieve a person. You can't grieve a thing. So, um, so the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. He dwells in us. Uh, I, I still say there's a bit of a debate of who made the most sacrifice on this. And I don't mean to deny the sacrifice of Christ. I'm not trying to be flippant on this. But the Holy Spirit has to dwell in the sewers every day. Okay? I, I, I'm a sanitary engineer. I work in sewage treatment. And uh, fortunately, God has blessed me with no sense of smell. So it's not that bad for me. But... Think about what it'd be like to be in the sewers every day, covered with filth. That's the Holy Spirit dwelling in our lives. Okay, he's a neatness freak too. So, so <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, he's he he he's guy clean. You want me to go? But he dwells with us because he loves us and he cares for us. Okay, um, and but the sacrifice of the Holy Spirit is a real sacrifice. I don't again. I don't want to equate it with with the sacrifice of the Son of God because. That bought our redemption, and it was a, uh, he lived in the body, it sacrificed himself for us, and yet the Holy Spirit lives in us, sacrificing cleanliness in a sense to work with us. So it says here, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, um, much like your mother can be grieved when you do bad things. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's sort of like, why? Or much like you. You can grieve for yourself sometimes. Why? Why did I do something? It's so stu- How could I have done this? How could I have destroyed my life? You, you may have had those moments. I certainly have had them. I've, I've had significant moments. As a believer, I've had those moments. Okay? Fortunately, I have a wonderful wife, and she's helped me work through a lot of that. But even more than a wonderful wife is the Holy Spirit who helps us work through that. Why? Why? But... Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to be with you, to help you, to grow. Um, how do we get the Holy Spirit? Well, we read God's Word. We pray. Really pray, not just words of prayer, you know, but really spend time thinking about who God is and who we are and praying that we become more like Him. And if we read His Word, we, that helps us. And also as we get together as the body of God. So the you know the church is the body of Christ, and so we need to, that that fellowship is there, and that's how we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit rejoices 
when we're together, loving one another, singing praises to God. That's, that's the Holy Spirit reveling in who we are to become. Um, and then it says, get rid of all bitterness, wrath, and anger, um, and clamor and slander. When we start reading those words, you think, that's a lot of stuff, you know? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. We are contentious people, okay? Most of the time, um, again, I, I hear this from Paul Tripp, but there are many teachers who teach this. So most of the time, um, uh, we get angry because someone kept us from getting what we wanted. That's, that's a major cause of anger. Someone cuts you off in traffic. It's not that they were stupid. It's that they might have got you killed. Okay? <laughs> or or you, now you can't have that space. You're not, you, you know, you're not angry at the cutoff. You're angry at your, what you want to do, being frustrated, or that you could have got killed or something. And you say, well, yeah, I shouldn't. But that's because... There's, a, there's the anger and the bitterness, the wrath, the slander that comes in because someone has done something we don't approve of. Okay? And maybe, maybe, it might be because someone says something you don't approve of about, to other people. Okay, there is that. Most of it is because someone's done something to us, not other people. Okay? Um, and, and, and other people, it's good to be angry with that, with a, uh, or in other people too. But again, we need to be careful not to let that take over the fact that God told us to love other people too. So, um, so we have to do it in a loving way. We need to oppose people that do evil, but do it by loving the person, hating the sin, hating what they're doing. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Forgiveness is, the, is one of the missing gifts of the church. Um, it is emphasized. I mean, when, when the keys to the kingdom were given, it was if you forgive anyone, then they'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they won't be forgiven. But that was followed up immediately by a parable that talked about the servant that owed millions of dollars and was forgiven and then tried to done his, his fellow servant for a much less amount, okay, and was going to put him in prison. And Christ said, so you must forgive others or God won't forgive you. So... There, the, the whole point of the, that whole thing in here, too, is we need to forgive. We need to not hold grudges. And when we hold grudges, uh, from that parable, it shows that we really don't understand how much God forgave us. Because God, God has said, basically, put it on my account. I want you to forgive them, put it on my account. Put it on my account. And there's no way that account can ever get filled up. And yes, the grievances you have are real. And by the way, when I said the parable of the servant that owed millions and the others didn't owe as much, the amount that the other owed was still about two or three years worth of wages of somebody. It was not something that could have been easily gone. But, but the point of it is it was nothing compared to the much greater sum there. So what I'm saying is don't say, well, yeah, but he only owed him a few dollars. It's easy for you a few dollars. This, this guy really, he ruined my life. Still got to forgive him. So God forgive them. So, and, and here he's talking about be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So, so we're going there. We're um, coming to the end on this. So I want to I talk really quickly because if you look at here and where we're going, th these are really summaries of the Ten Commandments. So I actually, I actually have um, sort of organized this so it's easier so we can go over quicker. 
Um, the first three commandments here are about God. The fourth one is about the Sabbath. And then there's a couple triads down here about other people. And we're going to talk about those real quickly. I just want to point out very quickly um, that this is almost a trinity in and of itself. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me, number one, God the Father. Uh, you should not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. Christ became the, the image of God incarnate and to die for us. Okay? And you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, the Holy Spirit, guarding the name of God and and at home guilt. This is almost a trinity in here, okay? But not explicitly. But, but again, some of these things are sort of good to think on just to help us understand the beauty of Scripture. Um, so, so you won't find these in uh, the codes, and nor the, the Ten Commandments. The Code of Hammurabi doesn't deal with the first four. So the Code of Hammurabi was a very similar code to the Ten Commandments, although it was just four through ten. You know, people are five through ten, excuse me. Um, they, um, they don't point out that. They say, oh, the Jewish nation had very, they just copied the Code of Hammurabi. And the Code of Hammurabi was a code that was around at the time. It was probably predated this by a, a century or so, or at least uh, a generation. And uh, I did have these kind of codes in here. Um, all truth is God's truth. God instituted government, so government would, would help people, not hurt people. And so as mankind has grown, mankind has found truth, and they found this. And these are pretty evident. I mean, listen, you should you know, honor your mother and father. Maybe that's not totally self-evident, but the whole point of honor your mother and father, by the way, is honor authority, not just your mother and father, but all authority. You shall not murder. Well, that's pretty... You know, there is no society that condones murder. Now, what happens, there are headhunters and cannibals and stuff like that, but those, the people they kill and eat are not people, okay? We, we, they, don't consider, they don't consider them people. That's what I'm saying. So, but there's this inability, people don't murder. There is a thing about you know, the, uh, constancy in marriage and stuff like that. It's thought that you shouldn't steal. Well, yeah, you shouldn't take what's your own. But how do you know that kind of thing? Well, in nature, these things can be subtle, pretty self-evident. And so um, mankind has groped around, but they've come up with separate codes like this. None of the codes are like this, though. This is revealed truth. This is something you can't get to from just reasoning in the thing. And so we get the first three and we get the fourth, which I consider the most special of all commands because there are commands about how to obey the gods and stuff like that. I, I've never seen a code that basically sets one day, the one day out to um, basically become a portal to um, spend time thinking about who God is and what he's done for us. So, but, but again, these are God's rules for a happy life. Okay? These, you want it life, you do it. So these commands here, you know, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't cover your neighbor's house, stuff like that. You go back to here, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't be angry, you shouldn't steal, you should have... This is a repackaging of the, the law, which makes sense. You say, well, why would he do that? Well, because there, the law never ceased, okay? If you go into Matthew... Um, the fulfillment of the law. If you go into Matthew chapter 5, he says, I, have, I, I don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. And then he actually says, you know, murder. You've heard it said that you shall not murder anyone. But I'm telling you, if you hate someone, you, it's like murder. And adultery. You've said you should not commit adultery. But if you lust for someone, it's like adultery. And again, um, 
you know, divorce anyone who divorces his wife, I'm telling you it's wrong for you to do that. Oath, uh, you, you, you separate truth by you saying, I swear to God that this, you call, invoke others, you say, no, it's, this is the retelling of the law. Okay, we don't have time to go through it all. But the original law that you shall not murder, um, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, those are things that, that got interpreted over time very restrictively because that's how mankind is. We, we actually look to where's the line between sin and good. And so they always, we went into that and Jesus reinterpreted the, um, the uh, not even reinterpreted, he interpreted the true meaning of the law. And so you can go through chapter 5, Matthew, and, and see the Sermon on the Mount. Um, personally, I think the Sermon on the Mount is reinterpreted, and one of the major reasons it's reinterpreted is to, um, or, or, or exposed fully, is to show us that we cannot keep the law. We are helpless to keep it. Because you might say, you know, I, I remember when I was a teenager and I looked up, I'll keep all of these, but I can't keep my mother and father. I have bad sins. I can't keep that. But what's this adultery thing? I didn't know what it was. I was like 13 years old. So I looked it up in the dictionary. And, and it was like, um, you know, uh, having, being sexually unfaithful to a husband and wife. And then there was a second meaning that I, again, I had not been brought up to know. I knew the commandment, but I didn't know the reinterpretation or the fulfillment of Matthew. It says, uh, looking lustfully at, at a woman. And I thought, well, yeah, I'm 13 years old. I'm thinking, there's no way. There's no way. And, 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 and you say, well, yeah, you know, I have to say, I'm older now. There's still a problem here, okay? The, the, only God can change our hearts on this, okay? It's not something we can do on our own. We can't have an iron will so that we don't hate another person or that we don't lust or that we don't lie. I tell you, lies pop out really quickly when, when the policeman pulls you over and says, do you know what speed you're going? <laughs> it's like, it, it, you say, well, I wasn't lying. I just said, I don't know. Because I actually did. And I mean, I saw that it said 56, but it might have been 56 and a half. It's, you know, you know, the lies pop out quickly too. And everything pops out quickly because there's an old self in us. And what, he, what, what Paul is talking about here is there's access to another power that can help us get through this old self. And so um, this is the fulfillment of the law, Paul. So, so the fulfillment of the law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. Here he says, um, uh, and again, he doesn't even talk about loving the Lord your God. This is Paul summing up the law, saying to love one another. For whoever loves others fulfill the law. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet. Um, it all summed up, love the neighbors yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love us fulfillment of the law. There's a reason Paul doesn't cover the first part. Because it's so easy to say the first part. I love God. I love but the proof's in the pudding. If you can't love your fellow neighbor, you can't really fulfill the law here. You can't fulfill the other law, too. Remember, there's a barrier between there. There's the fourth commandment with the Sabbath. The, the second decal, the second part, the second tablet, they say, that deals with man, if you can't fill that, you can't really love God because God created man in his image and God told you to forgive him and taught, told you to love him. 
So if you're not doing that, don't talk to me about loving God because because you're not. If, if you, and conversely, if this is really true, if you really honestly do love, then you will love God too. Okay, so, so Paul talks about that. We're going to go on to chapter 5 where he talks in more detail about it. But this is, we go back to this, this section here. Don't walk as the Gentiles. Put off your old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on your new self. There's a new self to put on. We'll talk about that more. I, very, I strongly encourage you to read the, the Normal Christian Life if you're interested in going deeper in this because I think it explicates it very well. I appreciate the chance to share with you guys. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have. We thank you that you care for us and watch over us and that you made us part of a body. Uh, we don't sometimes appreciate that, but we should, and we thank you for it. We thank you that we are not alone. Um, I, I, just, I just know with uh, this uh, coronavirus and people having to stay at home, a lot of people are feeling the effects of isolation. Lord, I pray that as a body we might be reaching out to those around us, believers and unbelievers, to let them know that they're cared for and loved and to show them your love through the love we have for them. Lord, help us to draw closer to you. Thank you for protection. Thank you for your love. And thank you that we will one day be with you in eternity. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.